Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We find ourselves back in our study that we began a few weeks ago, going verse by verse to the book of Genesis. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to Genesis 1. We'll look at, I guess, about 10 or so verses here in Genesis 1, and a few other verses that we'll put on the screen throughout the message. And I always encourage folks, um, if, you're new, if you're new or maybe visiting or first or second time, by the way, I met several that are back from Easter, and thank you, welcome back, we're so glad that you're back. Um, but I always encourage you to follow along for yourself in Scripture. If there's any power in my preaching at all today, it's the power of God's Word, not the power of my persuasion or of my opinions or my traditions, but the power is found in His Word. And so if you will, turn with us to Genesis 1. Anybody have a hard time finding that? It's the first page of the first book of the Bible there. And by the way, I want to say, speaking of Easter, I want to say thank you to every person who prayed and prepared and served and invited people to join you for uh, the Sunday services last week. We had hundreds of first-time guests in service last week, and it was the first time since I've been pastor, nearly seven years now, um, and I think only the second or third time in the history of the church, the 40, uh, nearly six-year history of our church, we had over 1,000 people here for a single service, and so to God be the glory. I believe the final count was 1,073 here for our Easter services last Sunday, several professing faith in Christ, born again, and and, uh, several baptized, and we're thankful for what He did last week. And that would not have happened without you. So many of you invited uh, family and friends and neighbors and coworkers, and we had a good number from our, our, of course, uh, guests from our school family and other places. And so, so glad for all those that came last week, and I'm so glad that you're here. And if you were here last week and you're back today, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you weren't here last week, but you're here today. Thank you for coming. And if you're a guest and I've not had a chance to meet you, my wife and I would love um, to meet you out in the lobby after the service and get to chat with you. And so glad that you're here today. We're going to cover a lot of ground on on some things, and we're going to hit on some controversial topics this morning. And I'm going to ask you to stay with me to the end of the message today. For our guests especially, I want to say a couple of things by way of introduction. Those that, that, are, that come every week or have been here for months or even years, I think you're aware of this and you know my heart and you know my style of preaching. I want to say first and foremost, especially if maybe you've only heard me never preach or once or twice or you're watching online, the first thing I'd like to say is I'm not a shock jock preacher. My goal is not that what's the most controversial or sensational thing we can do every week that I come to the pulpit is not, how can I be more sensational than the week before? And, and uh, God can use all different types. My, my spirit and my style of preaching is more, we're in Genesis, let's start in a book and let's work our way through that book verse by verse and build upon it and really understand, try to rightly divide the word of truth and, and uh, to build. And by the way, um, there are some that have built a, a large following and, and, and really you can build a big crowd with some real sensational tactics, and and they'll answer the Lord. However, every man feels the Lord is leading them to lead their church. That's not my style or personality is to to build a crowd by. I wonder what crazy, shocking thing he's going to say today. What way is he going to ruffle feathers? Um, So I'm not a shock jock preacher. I say that because if today's your first or second time to hear me preach, you may get a different impression. But I also want to say by way of introduction, I must preach truth no matter how unpopular it may seem to some. 
And so while I'm, I'm not a shock jock preacher where the, where the Bible speaks to hot button issues in our culture and our, our society, we cannot shy away from those things in an effort to shy away from controversy. So I'm not looking to stir up controversy, but where we find ourselves in Scripture, I, I want to be true to Scripture. I've often said, you've heard me say this before, that I intend in our church uh, for my preaching and for our church to be loud where the Bible is loud and quiet where the Bible is quiet. I think too often as Christians, we're quiet where the Bible is loud, and we're loud where the Bible is quiet. And so, so in our study today, in a book that was written, Genesis, thousands of years ago, we're going to find us hitting on some pretty divisive issues that relate directly to where we find ourselves in America in 2022. We're going to cover some truths that may be uncomfortable for some in society today, and again, about five or six years ago, we were talking in our staff, and I, I told our staff, I said, if truth offends, we have to be okay with that. If our handling of truth offends, we're not okay with that. I want to take the right stand, but I want to do it with the right spirit. The Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He said, he said truth, but he said it from the right heart and for the right reasons with the right spirit. And so today, my intention today is, is not to be inflammatory or accusatory. My desire is not to offend anybody, but if the truths of God's Word offend today, I'll have to be okay with that. And I'd rather have somebody that's either here today or watching online be offended with the truth of God's Word than for me to offend God by neglecting the truths of His Word. If you disagree with anything that I say today, I'm, I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself, why do I disagree with that? Ask what is the foundation of truth that you are trusting in, that you're basing your belief on? Am I basing my belief on God's Word or man's Word? On Scripture or on, on culture? On God's wisdom? or on man's wisdom, and, and, and don't get angry at the messenger today. Truly, I want, I want you truly, and it's okay if we have differing opinions or we disagree on some things. I'm okay with that, and we could sit down at coffee or, or lunch in the next week or two or three and, and talk about those things, but I want you to ask yourself, if you bristle at some things that are said today, I want you to ask yourself, why is it? Is it because I disagree with the pastor, or maybe, just maybe, I agree, disagree with the, the clear, evident truths of God's Word, the eternal Word of God, and consider if maybe our beliefs are in opposition to Scripture. Here's the reality. You and I are living in an upside-down world. It's a world that's wandered far from God. I'm going to give you some real-world illustrations today that go right along with a book that was written thousands of years ago, and nearly every illustration I give you today, I'm going to let you know, I didn't go searching for it. I didn't say, well, I'm preaching on some of these issues because it's some issues that we find in Genesis. Let me go find something to support. It was just in my regular week, going through my regular week on the news and on, 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 on uh, websites where there might be news, where I was reading articles or on social media or something that somebody posted or, or a link that was posted here or I saw come up there in trending topics in, on Twitter this week. Just this week, almost every illustration I give today is going to be from America. American society this week in 2022, and I'm going to show you that compared to Scripture, we're living in an upside-down world. These are things that are happening all around us on a weekly basis. I want to bring a message entitled, Living 
in an upside-down world. It's a world that has wandered far from God and the truths of His Word. Would you read Genesis chapter number 1, the last, uh, the last verse of, of Genesis chapter number 1? Would you read it aloud with me? Genesis chapter number 1, beginning in ver- or just reading verse number 31 aloud, the last verse of the chapter. Let's read it aloud together. Ready? Begin. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. The last message in this, in this um, uh, series, we talked about the six days of creation. Yes, there are seven days. We haven't gotten to the seventh day yet. We'll get there probably in the next couple of weeks, um, the seventh day where God rested. But the six days of creation, we talked about that in our last message. And, and it says here in this verse, and God saw everything that he, cre- he had created. That's you, and that's me, and that's this world, that's this earth, and that's the solar systems, and the plants, and the animals, and the seas, and, and the birds. And he saw it all, and he said in verse number 31, and he said, behold, it was what church? It was very good. God made everything very good. He made it perfectly. And you see, in the first few chapters of the first book of the Bible, God tells us what He had made and how He made it. He then gives us, it's almost like an instruction manual. He gives us His plan for His creation. He tells us, here's what I made, here's how I made it, and here's how it's supposed to work. And by the way, it was working really well. And then we're going to get there in a couple chapters. Man started to mess up, man, Adam and Eve started to mess up what God had made and what God had called very good. And the reality is that ever since then, we have been doing the same thing. We have been taking that which God made that was very good, bringing our fallen ideas into it, and messing those things up. Now, what God called very good, we call good evil, and we call evil good. And, and what God called very good, we say, well, that's old-fashioned, that's misogynistic, that's bigoted, that's hate speech. What God called an abomination in His Word, we call progressive. We call enlightened. We call being woke. You see, the farther we drift from God, the worse things get. And the farther that we drift from Genesis, which was God's original plan for His creation, the worse things get. The farther we drift, and we're going to see it here, and what we see, what I see is in God's creation, it seems that just about everything God gives us in the closing verses of this first chapter of His instruction manual, if you, if you will, for creation, we have, we have turned it upside down and we are doing the exact opposite. You see, in the first few chapters of this first book of the Bible, God tackles some of the biggest issues that man would struggle with. He tells us how it's all supposed to work, but we have turned it upside down. Paul described it this way in Romans chapter number one. He said, because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's what's happened in our world today. When we knew God and we decided not to glorify Him as God, our foolish hearts get darkened. And then it says this, uh, it says, professing themselves to be wise, we become what, church? 
and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And you can continue to read in Romans 1, what is Paul saying? We have taken what God made and we have turned it upside down. We have taken who God is and we've lowered God to the level of creation and we've lowered creation to the level of God. And in Romans 1 it talks about we worship and serve the creature more than the creator. We're living in an upside-down world. I'm going to ask you to buckle up this morning and stay with me. The message is probably going to be about 45 minutes or so, but I believe packed with vital truth. And I want us to challenge our thinking. Where do we stand? And why do we stand? What do we believe in? Why do we believe it? And what are we going to pass on to our children as Christians living in an ever, it seems, a society that is increasingly moving away from God and His plans that are found in the first parts of the book of Genesis? We're going to see this morning five things in the opening pages of the Bible that we have taken and completely turned upside down in our culture today. We must, as Christians, understand these things and get them settled in our hearts because there is an attack on every one of these that God established in the first chapter or two of the Bible. There's an all-out attack uh, by those that want to get away from God on these things. Look, if you will, at verse number, I want, to, I want you to see number one, first of all, we are upside down in our understanding of creation. Look at verse number 24, if you will. Chapter number one, verse number 24. This is the sixth day here, and, and God is making on the sixth day, he's making uh, the fifth day and the sixth day, he's making um, the, uh, the, the, the animals and man. Notice verse number 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature, key word here, after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth after his kind. And I, I hit on this a, while, a little bit on our last message, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but this flies in the face of the theory of the evolutionary process, what God is saying right here. Verse number 25, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was what, church? God saw that it was... And so what we see as we study, we looked at, and we have the image that we showed you in our last message, the six days of creation. We looked at each day and what God taught, what God made in each day, and I showed you how these, there's these parallels and the ways that they all go together, and they were perfectly planned, and there's this God of perfect order, and God had a plan, and he put everything, and you look at the, the, the uh, co complexity of the world in which we live, the complexity of the environment, the complexity of the human body. I was reading an article just this morning that talks about when a, when a woman is carrying a child and, and how that cells go back and forth between the mother and the child and that, that often those cells help to heal the mother's body while the mother is, 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 is um, nourishing the child's body inside of her womb and just the miracle of childbirth and the miracle of all of those things and you look at all of that and what does Genesis chapter 1 teach us about creation? That there was, there was a supreme being in what we would call intelligent design. It goes beyond intelligent design. It's, it's perfection, and there is a God that sees all of this, that put all of this into place. He spoke it all into existence, a God of order, and it was done perfectly, and God created all of this and saw that it was very good, a God of order and purpose. And what do we teach our children in America and our public school system in their science classes? Science, by the way, is supposed to be observable and repeatable and all of these things. What do we teach them? We teach them that the universe was a place of disorder. 
and somehow from some bang or some other thing and disorder, somehow this disorder, this chaos came, this one little species and some cells, and then those cells turned into this other species, and, and then this fro- tadpole turned into a frog that turned into a bird that turned into a monkey, and the monkey somehow evolved into man, and now we have rational thought, and now we can do it, and we, all of, and we have spiritual, and all of this stuff. Think about what we're teaching this generation of children. It is a completely upside down from what we find according to God's order of what the Bible says how this all came to be. We're living in an upside down world. What God laid out in the first few verses of Scripture about how the world came to be, we as man, we're brilliant. We can't take that by faith, so we're going to give you a new religion. We're going to call it, and it's going to be man-centered, some man's idea, a theory, and we just think, well, explain that. Well, I can't explain that. There's missing links in there. I can't tell you that, but just trust me that that's how it all came to be. We're upside down in our understanding of creation. Secondly, we're upside down in our belief of man's place on earth. Look at verse number 26. Would you read verse 26 aloud with me? Verse number 26. Ready? Begin. And God said, let us make man in our image. By the way, I want to stop right there. Let us. We talked about that. And God, we we serve a triune God. We talked about that in our last message. Let us make man in our image. The only thing in creation made in the image of God. Continue with me, please. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. He goes on in verse number 29, and verse number 30, and verse verse number 28, and we'll read those in a little bit, and talks about the fact that God's plan is that the earth and everything in it, man is to have dominion over. Man is made in the image of God. Man is the crowning achievement of God's creation. And everything else was made for man to use. It was made for man to be able to perform his purpose, God's plan for his life. And these things were made for our enjoyment. They were made for our nourishment. They were made for our use. God's plan is that we're going to make this and we're going to give him dominion over the animal world. We're going to give him dominion over plant life. What is man's idea? in today's day and age that man is subservient to the earth, that that we must inconvenience our lives in whatever ways necessary for the benefit of the environment. By the way, I'm not against being a wise steward of God's creation. I'm not against being a wise steward of what God gives us. I'm not talking about just destroying God's creation. What I am saying is we have taken being a wise steward, and in some, it seems, what we call it Mother Earth. She is one for us to bow down to and worship, and, and uh, we had this week, this week was Earth Day, and you get too deep into Earth Day, and it becomes a religion that we are worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator. It's all about how do we save the earth. We didn't create it. It's not up to us to save it. God's got a plan. By the way, according to Scripture, in, in His time, all of this is going to burn up with a fervent heat. So God didn't call us to save the earth. God called us to preach the gospel to see people get saved and go to heaven. 
two very different purposes. But we're upside down, and, and this idea invent, environmentalism can become a religion. We demonize man, and we elevate animals. And again, I have a pet at my house. I'm not talking about cruelty to animals. I'm not talking about that, that but, but it's, we, if we're not careful in our society, we get upside down in our thinking. We forget that according to Scripture, humans were the crowning achievement of creation, the only thing made in the image of God, the only thing with the ability to fellowship with God. Now we worship and serve the creature more than we do the creator. You've all heard the statistics about, about money that's spent, more money spent in America on dog food, feeding our dogs, than we, we spend as Christians sending to worldwide missions and all of those things. And, and it seems that, that the ultimate purpose in our lives sometimes is to care for those things. Sadly, it seems that in the minds of many, unborn animals have more rights than unborn babies in their mother's womb. Back in 2019, at the exact same time, two things were happening in the legal system of America. 2019, Andrew Cuomo signed a law in New York allowing abortion up until the moment before birth and even in the case of an accidental birth during that abortion procedure so the baby could ostensibly be murdered outside the womb. I preached an entire message when that happened, and I showed the video of the legislators literally applauding when that was signed in, in America, when that was signed in. Up until the moment of birth, a mother has the right to, to abort that baby. At the exact same time, a law was proposed in the House that would make animal cruelty, including the killing of an unborn animal, a felony punishable by up to seven years in prison. We're upside down. I'm not, I'm not for, and again, I'm not for animal cruelty. I'm not saying legalize just going out and just killing some, some expectant little animal that ha has a baby in its womb. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if we're not careful, we value the life of an animal, uh, an unborn animal over the life of an unborn baby. We're, we're, we're upside down. The Bible tells us to, to properly care for our animals, to properly use them, to not be cruel to them. But what an upside down world we live in where the killing of an unborn child was literally applauded by New York lawmakers, while at the same time, lawmakers were proposing felony punishment of cruelty to unborn animals. Look at verse number 27. Verse number 27, would you read that aloud with me? Genesis 1, verse number 27. Ready? Begin. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We're upside down in our view of creation. We're upside down, and God lays it all out here in the first chapter of the first book of his word. What, what our view of creation should be, what man's place is on earth. Number three, we're upside down. We're upside down in our understanding of gender identity. Would you look and read the last six words of verse 27 aloud with me, starting with the word male? Ready? Begin. Male and female created he then. It's very clear. Very clear, male and female created he them. Now we try to use all kinds of fancy words and terminology and new, new ideas to try to take what God established thousands and thousands of years ago. He laid it out in the first chapter, male and female created he them, and now we have turned that completely upside down. And, and by the way, I, I know there are some young children in this auditorium, and, I've, and some of the illustrations and things that I'm talking about, but here's the reality. These truths are making their way into our elementary schools. 
These things are on TikTok and YouTube where your kids are watching. This stuff is being pushed on children's channels, these things. This is a part of our society, and we ought not just pull our kids out. We ought to engage our children and teach them, here's what mom and dad believe, and here's why. Not because I go to church, not because I hate this group of people, but because this is God's plan. This is what the Bible says. We're upside down in our understanding of gender identity in this day and age. I want to say this morning, according to Scripture, God made two genders. God created a binary system, male and female. Now, we got so smart some thousands of years into it that in the last decade, we figured out that now there should be a a, a labeling of non-binary. Well, I don't fit into that. And by the way, all of us struggle with different things in our lives, and if you struggle with that, that could be a part of the, of the curse of sin in your life, that, that you struggle with that. But just because you feel like that, or you're tempted by that, or you have those desires does not make that okay. If, I, if I'm tempted to murder someone, or if I'm tempted to go uh, abuse my wife, or if I'm tempted to whatever you might want to say, it doesn't make it right that I have some sinful desires and feelings, but God created created a binary system. We've decided we're smarter, and we've invented that new term, non-binary. I'm not a he or a she. I'm a they or a them. I don't care how God created me. You must bow to my choice of pronouns, and my God-given identity must bow to my self-given identity. Uh, may I just say this, that that is nowhere in Scripture. And I'm not trying to be unkind. That's why I said stay with me to the end of the message. I'm not trying to be unkind, but the Bible is very clear here, and there are some loud opponents of God in Scripture scripture that are shouting these truths in our society, and it's time for Christians to stand up and lovingly say, that is not what the Bible teaches. Male and female created he, them. You don't like your gender? We're telling children now, don't worry about your chromosomes. You can be transgender, and we'll celebrate you. You'll be a hero. I was born a man, but I feel like a woman, so I'm a woman. All of this gender identity confusion is a slap in the face of a holy God and His plan for mankind. What we're saying when we do that is, I know better than the God of the universe who created me. God made two genders. Secondly, God made different genders. Men and women, male and female, created He them. Men and women were made differently in beautiful ways to fulfill very different God-given roles. Let me say that again. Men and women were created differently in beautiful ways to fulfill their God-given roles. And what have we done in our society over the last several generations? We have tried to blur and mix and try to tear down any possible God-given difference in our gender roles. He knew what he was doing. Over the last few generations, we've tried to blur every line in our never-ending quest for equality. Anything you can do, I can do better is the mantra of some. God made women to bear children? How archaic. What What a crazy thought. Men can do that too. Don't believe me? You don't believe that that's something that we're trying to push in our society? I didn't plan this. I knew I was going here a month or two ago. I didn't plan this to come out this week. This week, if you did your Apple iPhone update, 
If you did your update at night or while you were sleeping, if you allowed that update to go through uh, as I did, and then you go to a text message and type in the word pregnant, one, uh, two of three options. There are now, there used to only be, a, somehow we had emojis for 10 or 20 years, and, and, we, and just a pregnant lady was enough of an emoji. But somewhere we figured out that we were confused, we missed something along the way, and so this week, I think we have a picture of it, there are now two emojis that you can bring up when you type in the word pregnant. And again, in some ways it can seem comical, it can seem disgusting, but really what it is, is it's an indication of how far we have drifted from God and from his original plan in Genesis. So now we have, I was reading an article this week about, about, that, about some, a law that I'll get to here in a minute, and it was talking about this is to protect women and other birthing persons who are giving birth. I don't know how, for, somehow, for the first like 6,000 years of creation, it was only women that could give birth. But we've become so enlightened, but now there are birthing persons, and there are people that I, I, I haven't figured out how that works yet, but I, I, I'm not a biologist, so I guess I can't figure that out. But, <laughs> but, but again, and, and I'm not trying to be unkind, I'm not trying to be condescending. But, but, but how crazy, we download the latest update, and, and, and we, we now with this new emoji, we prove that men can bear children. Apple told me so. Somehow, after a decade or two, we, we realized we forgot about this unknown species of birthing men. May I just stop and say God knew what he was doing when he created male and female differently. Embrace your differences, ladies. You, you don't have to compete, men. You don't have to compete and try to be able to do everything a, a woman can do. And ladies, you don't have to compete and try to do everything that a man can do. God made us differently, and it's beautiful, and it's how it's supposed to work. God wanted us to be different. God made ladies to fulfill purposes that men could never fill, and men to fulfill purposes that ladies could never fill. He made man first, and he said, it's not good that man should be alone. He needs, we need something more than men. And all the ladies said, yes, they do, right? We need something else. He wasn't okay on his own. But what have we done? We have viewed somehow that the differences, anytime anybody points out a difference between genders, male and female, they're misogynistic, they're barbaric, they hate women. You No, God doesn't hate women. God made men and women differently. You aren't the same. As the meme I saw this week said, don't think gender matters. Go buy a rooster for eggs and a bowl for milk you'll certainly learn that God knew what he was doing. By the way, here's the reality. Even the world that doesn't want to have anything to do with Scripture and scriptural truths, even the world understands this truth, even if they don't admit it. It's why there's such a thing as the NBA and the WNBA. They understand men and women are just created differently. There are physiological differences. We have different chromosomes. We have, I don't want to get too deep into science class, but it's just different. The world understands that. We understand inherently that men and women's bodies are created differently. The greatest WNBA stars wouldn't even make an NBA team, and that's okay. They're just created differently. That's nothing to be ashamed of. God didn't make men and women to compete with each other, rather, but rather to complement each other. God didn't make us to compete each, with each other, but to complement each other. The ironic thing is that in our quest for equality for women, we've gone so far now that we're now taking opportunities and accolades away from women. We progress so far in women's rights 
that, that women are now losing some of their rights. Things are becoming less fair for them. We've seen that recently with the man who was a couple of years ago, he was the 554th ranked swimmer in NCAA collegiate swimming. 554, a year later, he's magically breaking women's world records in collegiate swimming. And what's happening in our quest for equality, now we are actually, our quest for equal rights for women, we're actually taking away opportunities and accolades for women. In our quest for enlightenment, we've gone mad. Read the rest of Romans 1, and you'll see that the farther we get away from God, the crazier we get, and we start misusing what His creation was created for. We start misusing how He created us and why. We start changing the truth of God into a lie. We worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. We start choosing these wrong things, male and female created, He, them. It's right here in the first chapter. Just because we call it something else doesn't change that truth. As Abraham Lincoln so wisely said, how many legs does a, does a dog have if you call its tail a leg? Four, because calling a tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Calling a man a woman doesn't make him a woman, and the idea from a few decades ago was this, as, as this started to infiltrate its way into our culture, here was the idea, and here's what we were fed, and here's what we were told. We were said, live and let live. As long as they don't hurt anybody else, who cares what they do in their bedroom? When we got away from God's plan, that was the mantra of our society. As long as they're not hurt, by the way, according to Scripture, they're hurting themselves. We always hurt ourselves when we go away from God's plan for our lives in any area. But the mantra was, live and let live. As long as they're not hurting anybody, I'm not going to intrude in their bedroom. But here's the problem with, with this agenda. It's not staying in the bedrooms. It's making its way into every corner of our lives, including our elementary schools, and sadly, even our churches. Again, I didn't go out looking for this. This popped across one of my social media feeds. Somebody had brought attention to an event happening at a church in South Carolina next month. A church in South Carolina, I think we have an image of it, on the same Facebook page that announces their VBS for children, that announces their Easter Sunday resurrection services. You can go on this church's Facebook page. They're proudly announcing this drag me to church. And here's what the Facebook text says. I saw it with my own eyes yesterday. Trinity is very proud to present Drag Me to Church, a drag show about church, faith, and God's inclusive love. You'll be endlessly entertained as this lady leads us through her unique style of worship, which includes as many laughs as it does amens. Do not miss the rare opportunity to see a drag queen in church. We're upside down. You say, Pastor Ryan, that's not happening in every church. No, but it's being pushed in every county of our country. And reading time for kids at libraries and, and elementary school, let, let's let them go and teach these things and drag me to church, a drag show, a wickedness in a church that bears the name of Martin Luther. It's a Lutheran church. Martin Luther, a man who once nailed his 95 theses in a bold stand for truth that kicked off the Protestant Reformation. A church that bears that man's name, that took a stand several centuries ago for truth and saying, we're going to live, the just shall live by faith. We're going to live by the truths of Scripture. That's what that church was founded in, founded upon, was the truth of Scripture. But we've gone upside down in our understanding of gender identity. Christians, at some point, we have to stand for truth, no matter how unpopular it becomes. Male and female created he them. I want you to see verse number 28. 
And God blessed them, and God said unto them, what did he say? What are the next two words? Be what? Be what? And what? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have, here it is again, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat and it. It was so. What do, we, what do I see here in verse 28? He says, be fruitful and multiply. We are upside down in our view of children. We're upside down in our society, in our view of children. God says children are a blessing. God says children add richness to life. Some of you say, come live at my house and see if that's true. <laughs> but here's the reality. We view children, God says they're a blessing. They add richness. Often in our society, we view children as a curse and an inconvenience. Don't believe me? Go look at the statistics of how many children we're having and at what age. We put it off as long as we possibly can. What does that show? A mentality of have your fun, live your life, find your fulfillment. Then when your life kind of gets boring at some point, then add some kids to the mix. We're, we're upside down in our view of children. In our society, we're having less, and we're having them later in life. He says, be fruitful and multiply. The psalmist said, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. They're a blessing from God. They're a reward, but we view them as something to outsource. Uh, get, get them out of my hair. I don't want to deal with that, those kids. And we view them as, and they are eternal souls. There might not be many things, if God blesses your home with children, there might not be many things that you and I do that are of more eternal value than raising those young souls souls to grow, to know God, to love God, and to live for Him for a lifetime might be some of the most eternal work that we do. And if we're not careful, we can't wait to get them out of our hair. We can't wait to get them out of our house. We can't wait to get rid of them. And, and, and that is, if we have them, we, we, we say we do anything uh, in our lives to, to, to get rid of them. We'll do anything, it seems, not to conceive a baby. And we have all kinds of ways not to conceive a baby, to have our physical fun without conceiving a baby. And then if we find out that we've conceived a baby, what's our mindset? This is an inconvenience to my life. Let me figure out often in our society, how can I get rid of this baby? Just this week, a new bill, AB 2223, has been, just this week, I didn't plan this, came across my desk this week. It's been in the news in our state here in California. This bill introduced and already passed through two committees. It's going to the floor, uh, the assembly floor, I believe, for a vote soon that would expand abortion rights and protect parents from prosecution in the event that their child dies under any circumstance while in the womb, and depending on how you define the terms that are in the bill, possibly even after birth. It's already passed two committees in California. It would expand it. Basically, the thinking from what I understand as I've read up on it, the thinking behind the bill is that if a woman tries to have an abortion, but the abortion gets botched and the child survives, the woman should have the ability to carry through with ending the child's life without prosecution or repercussions. Go read the verbiage for yourself. And by the way, it hasn't passed. I'd encourage you to, to call or email or write your legislator and let them know to vote no on AB 2223. Be fruitful and multiply. 
How can we expand the rights to get rid of as many children as possible? We're upside down. We're living in an upside down world. Hey, be fruitful. It's, 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 a, it's a heritage of the Lord. It's the fruit of the womb is his reward. These kids, get them out of my hair. I don't want to have children. If I have them, I, I don't want to deal with them. In, in our lives, in, in our society, we can call it a fetus to make us feel better about ending a precious baby's life. We can call it a clump of cells that doesn't yet have viability. We come up with all these fancy terms to, to, to ease our seared consciences. But my Bible still says that God knew Jeremiah before he formed him in the belly. The psalmist is pretty clear that God was a part of every aspect of life from conception and beyond. For thou hast possessed my reins, the inner parts, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance, the very beginnings of my life, my substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret, those that understand know exactly what that's talking about, from the very beginning. I was curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. It, was, it wasn't just a clump of cells, but what we call it's not yet formed. You saw me when I wasn't yet formed. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. When I wasn't anything but just a little substance, God, you knew all of my members. You knew who I was. You knew what I would be. You knew where I would go. You knew all of those things. Things. How precious, he says, are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Be fruitful and multiply. God knows and sees. I, I believe the Bible clearly teaches that life begins at conception, but we are trying to move that, that date farther and farther and farther along to where we get to up until the moment of birth and then partial birth abortion and all of these things. And again, this is not my normal thing, but it's right here. Be fruitful and multiply. Love children. Protect children. Nurture children. What has our society said? Our society has said neglect children, abuse children, get rid of them before they're born. Call them a fetus or a clump of cells. What an upside down world we're living in. The last thing I want you to see. Chapter 2, would you go to verse number 24, the next chapter. Look at verse number 24. So God is explaining how, how woman came to be, man was created, God realized he needed help, and that hasn't changed. Verse 24, woman's created, and then notice what he says, and Adam accepts Eve, says this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, in verse 23. Verse 24, would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. By the way, there were no fathers or mothers on earth at this point. There were no children on earth at this point. But what is God doing from the beginning? He's establishing his plan. He's laying out the instruction manual for how he wants us to live as his creation. Therefore, because of my creation, a man shall leave his father and mother, male and female created he them. We have a father and a mother. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You get into the New Testament, you see Jesus speaking of God's plan for marriage. And what I want you to see, lastly, we are upside down in our view of marriage. We're upside down in our view of marriage. God was very clear from the beginning of Scripture. His plan is this, one man and one woman 
for life. Till death do us part. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. I say that knowing there are many people in this room whose lives have not followed that plan, including my own immediate family. I was born out of wedlock. My mom and dad were never married. That's not God's plan. That's, that was done outside of God's plan. They were not living for the Lord. Maybe, I don't know if they knew principles of the Bible or not. Then my mom was married and we were in church and then got divorced. While we were going to church, my mom and stepdad got divorced. I understand that circumstances of life happen, and this is not to condemn anyone, but our circumstances don't change God's original intent. The, the failures of man in our lives or our own failures don't change God's plan. We have got upside down in our view of marriage. This was his plan from the beginning, one man and one woman for life, and he never changed his mind. He established, defined what marriage was in the first few words of the Bible. He established and showed us the sexual relationship is a God-given gift meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman. We have redefined all of that completely in our society. We've redefined marriage. We've redefined sex. We've redefined love. What we call traditional marriage is becoming scoffed upon and looked down upon. We say live with multiple partners, have physical relationships with anyone you feel like before marriage. Swipe right, swipe left, try that one tonight and try that one tomorrow. That's the society in which we're living. Never get married. In the age of people getting married, he's getting far and far older. Fornication, which is a physical relationship outside of marriage, is just accepted in our society today. Adultery, which is a physical relationship outside of your marriage, is rampant in our society today. Homosexuality, experiment with different people be a thruple, have sister wives, pornography is rampant, affecting even young children. All of these things pervert God's plan. It's not what he wants. And he established it, but we've turned it all upside down. God said, I have a very simple plan. And we have said, let's try everything except that. Let me try to find love and fulfillment and pleasure in every possible thing except that. In our day, it seems like anything goes. And the farther away from the Bible it is, it seems, the more it is celebrated. Man with man, women with women, man with animal, man with child. You're an adult that loves children in a wrong way. There's an organization for you. You ever hear of NAMBLA? It's sickening. It's been around for decades in our society. In just a few years, just a few years, probably since my children were born, we've gone from LGBT to LGBTQ to LGBTQIA to the plus sign. Where does it stop? We've just turned everything that God gave us upside down on its head. Find what you're looking for in this. If that didn't work for you, go over there. And God said, I told you from the beginning how it's supposed to work. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. But our mantra is love is love. Do what makes you happy. It's not about what makes me happy. It's am I fulfilling God's plan? By the way, I, I want to just stop and say this. As Christians and as the church, we're really good at preaching against the sexual sins that we don't struggle with. But I want to remind all of us that heterosexual sex outside of the bounds of marriage is just as much against God's word and God's plan as any other sin that we like to preach against and shout about. I've known a lot more pastors that destroyed their lives and their families and hurt their churches through adultery than I do through homosexuality. So we, we, we coddle our pet sins while we call out those that aren't real rampant in our circles or that they're just being hidden real well in our circles. All of these are perversions of God's plan. 
teen relationships outside of the bounds of marriage, whatever, a a married partner, whatever the point might be, what it comes down to, what it comes down to is this, we're looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in places that God never intended. His plan is perfect, one man, one woman for life, and I'm thankful again for grace when our lives don't follow that plan, but that doesn't change His original intent. We're living in an upside-down world in our view of creation. We're living in an upside-down world in our view of man's place on earth, and it's seems that animals have more rights sometimes than than humans might in certain places. We're living in an upside-down world as it relates to gender identity and our view of children and and, and what they are in our church, in our our homes, in our view, and we're living in an upside-down world in our view of marriage and love. And all five of those are laid out. I hadn't planned, it wasn't like I was looking to preach a controversial message. And and really for a a large portion of, of history, this wouldn't have been a real controversial message. I wasn't looking for this, but as I studied verse by verse through Genesis, I thought the biggest cultural attacks happening in 2022, God settled in the first pages of his book. And we've just turned it upside down. And and I, I looked at it and I wanted to remind us those things. And here's the reality. I spent a lot of time this morning cursing the darkness, making it clear where God's word and popular culture have collided and where we veered way off course. But I don't want us just to leave having preached against the wickedness of our day. What do we do with this truth? What is the answer? I wanna give you two closing thoughts and I'll be done. Number one, here's my challenge to you. We must get back to Genesis, to God's plan. God gave us his plan from the first pages of scripture. Either he's right or culture is, they can't both be right. Either his teachings are true or man's philosophy and ideas are true. Either his word is sufficient or we need to experiment with every possible option to try to find fulfillment and purpose. And church and Christian, you're going, and by the way, what we like to do is look at people that are not fulfilling God's plan in their ways and curse them while we again are coddling our pet sins and we're not fulfilling God's plan in our own lives. The answer isn't, yeah, preach about them, pastor. The the question is, are you and I following God's plan for our lives? Are we living the truth that we know? Well, what about that bill? And what about that? Did you see what happened in New York? And and those wicked, that, that vile this, that, and the other. What about what's happening in your house, on your computer, in your text messages, on your social media? Before we worry about cursing the darkness, are we living the light? Are we following God's plan in our own lives as believers? We've got to get back to Genesis. We've got to get back to God's original intent. You're going, Christian, you're gonna, and and young people, we have some children in here, some teenagers in here. Let me just stop and say, these are issues that I, I, I really, honestly, I didn't have to deal with a lot of these issues when I was growing up. There were some of these issues. It wasn't like I lived in Mayberry. We, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't utopia. I wasn't, you know, living in whatever. There was sin all around where I, when I lived. But these issues, a lot of these are louder and stronger than they were when I was growing up. And parents, we have to engage. And children, you have to ask questions. And parents, you have to realize that your children's minds are being flooded with anti-God, anti-Bible, tr- uh, not truth, philosophy and ideas. They're being flooded with these things. And we've got to engage our children and talk to our children and show them why, when it, when it comes to society or scripture, what are, and, but you're going to have to live it yourself, but then you're going to have to teach them and pray that young people, you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to go with Christ? Or or am I going to go with culture? 
Am I going to go with Scripture, or am I going to go with society? Am I going to go with truth, or am I going to go with feelings? Am I going to go with what's popular in culture, or what's true in the Bible? And you're going to have to decide, but young people, make a decision. Let's get back to God's plan. Let's get back to Genesis. It's time to, to stand for something. It's time to speak the truth in love. We cannot continue to cave, allowing darkness to just drown out our light. Parents, it's not enough to bring them to one hour or 90 minutes of church on Sunday morning and hope that counteracts the other 80 or 90 hours of worldly, ungodly influences that could be coming into their lives. Get engaged. Understand what's happening. Have these conversations. Be careful what you're watching. Know what's on the phones, because Satan has an all-out attack on all of us, but specifically those young hearts, that they would hear a message like this, and there are probably some in this room that hear me preach and think, you're just a bigot. You're misogynistic. You just hate women. You hate people. You're a, because that's what anybody that—this is now hate speech. And we need to talk through and teach these things to our children. Get back to Genesis. And then secondly, and lastly, get back to the God of Genesis. What this lost world needs is not the self-righteous condescension of Christians and churches. What they need is a relationship with the God of the Bible. They need someone to show them the God that loved them so much that he sent his son Jesus to redeem them from their sins, to shine light into the darkness of their lives and to give them the hope and freedom that they're searching for in all the wrong places. They don't just need Christians, and I did stand up and shout about some of these issues. I get that. This is a different setting, but in our lives, and that's not, and by the way, that's not my normal what I'm doing. I felt like that's where we were here in Scripture. They don't just need us shouting at them about what they're doing is wrong. They need us to show them the God that loves them. They need us to show them how a relationship with Jesus Christ can change their sinful, hurtful, harmful desires. We need to get back to the God of Genesis, not just Genesis, but the God of Genesis. What the senator in Oakland that introduced AB 2223 needs is not our vitriol. What he needs is a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the answer. What that lady that's struggling with, with shame because she had an abortion needs is your love and the love of Christ, not your condemnation. What that unwed teen mother needs, she doesn't need the heartless criticism of some Pharisees and some religious Pharisees. She needs a church family to rally around her and to love her and her child. That divorced family needs God's grace, and those children need your love. The answer isn't to go on crusades against the enemies of God. The answer is to preach Christ and to call them back to God. So this is not a rally to get you all fired up to hate the world we live in. This is a message to remind us as Christians we must stand on truth. We've got to know what we believe and why. And then when we see those that are deceived, those that are blinded, those that are choosing wrong directions in their lives, whether believers or unbelievers, we need to lovingly engage them and try to show them the love of Christ. Christ and share the love of Christ with them and let them know that there, there is a different way, that what you're searching for in that substance and what you're searching for in that relationship and what you're searching for in that identity and the fulfillment you're trying to find in that career, God can give you all of that. Everything you're looking for in the wrong places, Jesus is what you're looking for. The world has questions. His love is the answer. The world needs saving. His Son is the Savior. The world is lying to every one of us. His word is the truth. Sin is the curse. 
Christ is the cure. Let's get back to God's plan found in Genesis. And let's get back to the God of Genesis. We're living in an upside down world. Our view of creation. Our view of man's place on earth. Our view of gender identity. Our view of of marriage. I forgot the fifth one. (laughs) Whatever it is. Our view of our children. How could I forget? I have five of them. (laughs) And here's the reality. God laid out his plan for all five of those areas in the first few words. What has our society done? All of that truth, we've turned it on its head. The answer isn't to curse the darkness. And I spent a good bit of time cursing the darkness today. The answer isn't for us to live in, with our pitchforks and, and we hate you and you're, the, you're what's wrong with the, this country. Christians, that's not the answer. The answer isn't to curse the darkness. The answer is to shine the light. Amen. To make sure we're living Genesis. We're living God's plan. And then to show them the God of Genesis. That's the answer. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.